0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. It's so good to be with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Let's pray as we come before God's Word together. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that you are a speaking God You've given us your word. What an amazing honor to be able to hear from your word. But you don't just speak from a distance. You sent your son to be with us to, to show us who you are. And your spirit is here right now. You're communicating. You're drawing us near. Lord, you're speaking, God. We want to hear from you. Show us uh, what you have to say to us today and hit our hearts with it. Lord, change us as we interact with you here, meeting with you in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would help me. Please give me the spirit. Help me to teach this passage faithfully and clearly. And I pray you'd help all of us, myself included, to understand what you're saying, to believe it, to trust it, to live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone in here tend to be competitive? Um, You're honestly a nice person until you're in it to win it, right? Anybody in here like that? Uh, it could be a softball game. You're a nice guy till the game started. Or gal. Could be a board game. D- doesn't have to be athletic. You will win the Monopoly game, right? And you'll be angry if you don't. Um, it could be a business meeting. That happens. It could just be an argument. You've got to win the argument. Doesn't matter what it's about. The, the point is that you have to win. Anybody in here competitive? <laughs> you know anybody like that? You know what it's like, right? Your senses get heightened. Your adrenaline flows. And you're thinking, anything it takes, I'll get it done. Uh, personally, I love competition. I think it's, it's fun, right? It's so much fun. There's the challenge, the struggle, the desire to be your best. Now, sure, right, it can bring out the worst in you. Um, I've been disappointed with myself before after a basketball game. Where the, you know, the guys at the gym are looking at me And I imagine they're thinking You're a pastor After all that you're a pastor And I want to be eh, Sorry I was too competitive Okay, it can, it can bring out the worst in you But it can also bring out the best in you Really isn't competition A joyful sacrifice Think about it What do you want You got this goal And what are you willing to do to meet the goal Anything And you're happy to do it I think of playing, um, I like to play softball sometimes. I think of playing outfield in softball. Okay, and there's a, there's a fly ball, and I'm going to have to run to get it. How bad do I want to catch that thing? I want to catch it so bad. Well, what if I skin my knee? I don't care. That just increases the glory of it, right? <laughs> what, if I, what if I smear my face into the ground? It doesn't bother me. That would just make it all the more incredible that I made the catch. Anything... To make the catch, I want to win. And it's all of myself freely thrown into one mission, competition. I've got to win. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're like, okay, I get it. I feel that way sometimes. And maybe you're asking, why are you talking about this in church? Well, look with me again at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Look what the apostle says to the church in Corinth. Look what he says to us. Verse 24 of chapter 9. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Will you read that next line with me? So run that you may obtain it. So, what's he telling you to do? Run the race to win. He's comparing the Christian life to this setting of an intense competition. You want to run the race to win. You'll do anything. You'll joyfully sacrifice for this focus, this mission that you had. Uh, The Corinthians knew what Paul was talking about um, in talking about everything for the win. One commentator says that ever since the day of Alexander the Great, athletics dominated Greek society. So two most famous athletic competitions. You may have heard of this one, the Olympics. The other one was the um, Isthmian Games. Okay, the point is, those were held in Corinth. Okay, this, this athletic thing is happening here um, every third year, and they knew that the athlete who run this main race and who won it was immortalized. He was a celebrity. He was honored. If you won that, everybody knew who you were. You were glorified. And can we relate as Americans? Kind of ridiculous, right? You're, you, don't waste your time listening to sports talk radio, but I do, um, And people will be talking about someone's eternal legacy. He'll be remembered forever. What's his legacy? Well, he won won these four rings. And part of me is like, yeah, he's the best. And part of me is like, eternal legacy? Really? Maybe we're overdoing this a little bit. But we can relate. It's this idea of, I want to win the crown. I want to win the prize. I want to make it. I want to throw myself in to this run, this effort, this race. Paul is thinking of this desire to sacrifice everything to get the win, and he's applying it to the Christian life, and every Christian is told by the, by the apostle, run, that you may obtain it. So do you hear it? If you trust Christ today, what's he telling you to do? You run to win. You're in it to win it. Okay, now next question. What does that mean? What does that mean? Channel you are into this joyful sacrifice that brings the win, but well, in this context, for Christians, what is the wind? What is it that can demand your joyful, all-in sacrifice? Well, we're continuing our study through the first letter, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And we're really in episode two of a three-part argument the Apostles making. So we're right in the middle of this conversation. And Paul is fighting hard regarding a very serious issue. The issue won't sound serious to us at first, but it was so serious for this church. And the issue was meat sacrifice to idols. Meat sacrifice to idols. And you have to realize that the culture of the city of Corinth was dominated by idol worship. There were lists and lists and lists of, of gods, and they had their temples and their little statues, and people would do everything they could to appease these gods so that the gods would help and benefit their lives. But this worldview of idolatry and following these gods, it wasn't just like a, a side thing. See, see, in America, religion sometimes is a side thing. You do it for an hour once a week, but it doesn't really dominate your life. For the Corinthians, idolatry was all over their politics. It was all over their economics. Even the steak you buy at Albertsons was sacrificed in honor of Artemis or some such idol. And if you think about that context, some of these Christians just met Jesus. They just realized who he is and what he's done. But they have spent their lives... Serving these idols, fearing these idols, sacrificing for these idols. And so maybe there's a weakness to it or a sensitivity to it or an intimidation by it. And here's what was happening. Some Christians in this church, they had some theological knowledge and say, they said, well, we know the idol gods, they're not real gods, right? We serve the one true God. We know they're not real. Okay, true or false? True. And so then they said, you know what? It's no big deal for us to eat the steak sacrificed to Artemis because we don't care about Artemis. God made the cow. Let's eat it. Praise the Lord. Okay. All right. Are they free to eat the steak in some context? Sure. Can you, can you eat this as a Christian? Sure. The problem is they weren't taking this theology of, oh, we've got to worship this true God and, and actualizing it into their hearts so that they were considering, well, what pleases him in this situation? What pleases him regarding these other people in my lives? So say one of us, we're, we're tempted to... We just got saved from worshiping Artemis, and, and that part of our past has a huge influence in our lives, and now we see uh, you over there, you're, you're eating the steak, and, and so what am I thinking? If I'm still weak in this area, I'm thinking, oh, it's okay to, uh, to worship Jesus and worship someone else? What's happening in my faith there? What's happening to my devotion to Christ by that person's example? Paul uses very, very strong language here. I think it's on a slide. Look at verse 11. This is from chapter 8. Paul says, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is what? Destroyed this brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak. You sin against whom? Christ." So I can have theology straight, but if I'm not sensitive to what pleases the Lord in every situation and how what I do affects others, with my good theology of, oh, there's, there's no idol, I'm actually wrecking somebody else's faith because I'm tempting them, causing them to sin against Jesus. I'm not considering their walk with Jesus as precious. I just got my answers and it's fine for me. And that's it. That's what the Corinthians were doing. Oh, I've got my answers and it's fine for me. And they weren't thinking about the faith of others. And so Paul is pleading with them, right? He finished the last chapter by saying, I'll never eat meat again if it hurts my brother or sister's conscience. I'll, throw, I'll never eat another one. What is Paul saying? He's pleading with the church to sacrifice themselves in order to protect and build up the faith of their brothers and sisters. Isn't that what he's saying? That's the context of this argument. Yeah, maybe you have rights. you have the right to eat something or see something or do something. But you've got to consider the faith of those around you and how you influence them. And you've got to think of what's best for them. And if using your right isn't best for them, then you've got to be willing to sacrifice that right to build them up. That's what he's saying. That was last week, last chapter. Paul's saying, if you actually know God, you'll be ready to sacrifice to protect the faith of others. So as we come to chapter 9, Paul's still in the same argument. Showing how, how huge of an issue this is. You realize out of the, the, this letter, three, of this, three chapters are about this. Three whole chapters. And in chapter 9, Paul takes a different tactic in trying to convince them to sacrifice themselves for the faith of others. He uses himself as an example. So we get to see into the life, the thinking, the heart of the apostle Paul. You're going to see three major things. Number one, Paul's going to argue hard to assert his rights as an apostle, verses 1 to 14. So what's he doing? He's asserting his rights. He's saying, as an apostle, I'm a a legitimate apostle, and I deserve these things. So that's kind of funny, huh? That's 14 verses. Then in the next three verses, 15 to 18, he's going to, after having asserted his rights, he's going to refuse taking any of them. These are my rights, unequivocally. I deserve these. Point two, I don't want any of them. Strange, shocking. Point three, he's gonna, he does this because he's running to win. And he wants us to follow his example. Paul's rights, his refusal to use his rights. Why? To run to win. Follow his example. So let's walk through it together. First of all, Paul has rights as an apostle. Uh, first three verses, he's basically saying, hey, Corinthians, especially you should realize I'm a legit apostle. Uh, just as a background, what does it mean to be an apostle? Right? It can be confusing. You can be like, well... Uh, They were disciples, right? Twelve disciples, twelve apostles. It's not wrong, but isn't there a difference between disciple and apostle? Okay, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are apostles? Okay, good, good, right answer. How many of you are disciples? You want to follow Jesus? Okay, right, okay. So there's a difference. There's a difference. The major difference is the apostles have authority from Jesus to proclaim him. Authority. Okay? The reason we're preaching and studying from 1 Corinthians is because it was written by the apostle. Jesus gave Paul authority to preach Jesus and tell us what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus. That's why we're reading this. That's why I'm not up here just trying to make up my own business. I don't have that authority. I'm not an apostle. My job is to tell you what the apostle wrote. Okay? And so Paul is saying, I'm an apostle. And, and look at some of these elements. Verse 1. Am I not free? Okay? So who does Paul write and say, oh, do I have your permission to do this? Jesus is his authority. Now, he teams with other people, but he's nobody's yes man, right? He's not out to try to make sure the Corinthians like what he has to say. He's free. He's the authority. Number two, haven't I seen Jesus our Lord? Part of being an apostle was to be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. Paul saw him. Then Paul says, aren't you my workmanship in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, I'm at least to you. What does he mean there? Well, listen, before, before Paul came to Corinth, how many people were worshiping Jesus that we know of? Okay, nobody, he came in and preached the gospel, the Son of God, His life, his death, his resurrection. The Corinthians believed it. Paul planted this church. The Corinthians of all people should know Paul is their apostle. He's the one who built them up. Paul says, "This is my defense, what's he saying? I'm a legit apostle, right? That's what he's saying. And they know this. they agree with this. Number two, look what he says in verse four. "Apostles have rights to enjoy the fruit of the work." Look at verse four. Don't we have the right to eat or drink? Does Paul have the right to eat the steak and drink the wine or whatever else? Does he have the right? Yeah. He's got the right. Verse 5. Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife? The other apostles have one. James had one. The brothers of Jesus. Peter has one. Does Paul have the right to get married to a believing lady? Sure he does. Sure he does, just like the other guys. Look at verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So. Isn't Paul saying, don't I have the right to get paid for the work I do? Look at his examples. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Um, If if you become a soldier and you're in the military, doesn't the military take care of your basic needs? Or they're supposed to anyway, right? Anybody just want to do that all at your own expense? No way. Soldiers don't do that. Well, isn't Paul a soldier for the Lord? These are all... Uh, christian worker images he's a soldier for the lord what about who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit oh i'm going to work so hard to get these grapes to grow but i'm not going to eat any or drink any of the wine who does that nobody does that don't you want some of the fruit of your labor right wasn't the church god's vine and isn't the paul tending the church doesn't he deserve some to be compensated for his work doesn't he have the right to that sure he does shepherds who tends a flock without getting some of the milk right who wants to take care of the sheep and not get any wool uh, for a blanket or or milk to drink shepherds don't do that isn't the church god's flock isn't paul a shepherd doesn't he have the right to get compensated for his work do you hear what he's saying he's a legit apostle and he has rights to be compensated for what he does isn't that what he's saying okay he keeps pressing his argument by the way just as you're reading this how hard is he working to establish this? It almost seems too hard, doesn't it? Like, let it up already. He's gonna keep at it. He's really working hard to say, I'm a legit apostle and I have these rights. And, and there's there's a reason for that. He keeps going in verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? So, in other words, he said, I'm a legit apostle, I deserve compensation for my work, and am I just making this up on my own? No. It's in the Bible. Right? It's in the Bible. Uh, doesn't the law say the same he quotes from deuteronomy 25 it's written in the law of moses you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain is it for oxen that god is concerned doesn't he speak for our sake it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in what hope the thresher thresh in what hope of sharing the crop you work with hope that you'll enjoy the fruit of your labor, that you'll be compensated. The Bible says this, Paul says. You know, the whole context of Deuteronomy 24 and 25 is giving people what they deserve. Paul says God didn't write this to the cows, you know. Uh, This is a principle for us. The idea is that the worker should receive a wage. And then verse 11, if I've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? That's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? If I'm working for you spiritually, shouldn't I be able to make a living off that? And the answer would be, yeah. Yeah. Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So in other words, guest pastors, guest speakers would come by and the Corinthians would take care of them. And Paul's like, I'm your apostle. Wouldn't I deserve that even more? And Of course, the answer is sure, you're a legit apostle. You deserve compensation. But here's where he throws it in, his first picture of running the race. Even though I have these rights, verse 12. This is why Paul sets it up, so he can throw it down. Nevertheless, do you see this? We have not made use of this right. But we, do you see what's next? We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. I will suffer anything, Paul says, to make it easy for people to come to Jesus and stay with Jesus. I don't want to make any obstacle. Paul refuses to use many of his rights so as to bring no obstacle to the gospel. But then he keeps plugging on his rights again, verses 13 to 14. Don't you know that those who are employed in the temple get their food from the temple? So now he's pressing into more biblical ideas. The people who work at the temple, where do they get their compensation from? temple in the same way verse 14 the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel so whose idea is it that pastors who preach the gospel in a local church make their living that way it's God's idea right and by the way just thank you for letting me do this for a job that's so nice of you I love it I'm very thankful it's amazing I get to do this as a living so that's the first point. What is Paul done hard? We're, we're trying to follow Parr's argument. What, what is he doing? I have the right to be compensated for the work. Now look at verse 15. We should really be shocked here. Because, uh, by the way, what are you used to? He's an apostle, right? He's an apostle. Shouldn't he wear a really tall hat? And have his own television station? You know? And he can do things like, if you'll just send in your love offering. Okay? I was reading articles about this famous pastor who he's convinced his congregation he needs his own private plane. It's for the sake of the gospel. Okay, final life. <laughs> A bicycle? Okay. Right? He's an apostle. He's an apostle. We're so used to figureheads, you know, blinging it, and we're all like, he's an apostle. This is, who's more found out of of any only non-divine person? Who's more fundamental to the growth of the church than Paul? And yet, look what he's going to say. Verse 15. I have made no use Of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So let's make it clear. Is he asking the Corinthians to support him financially? No. Is he telling the Corinthians, I do not want you to support me financially? Yes. Does he have the right to be supported financially? Absolutely. Does he want to be supported financially? No. Look at the next line. Is he just drama king or is he? really after something. Look what he says. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What is going on? What is going on? He has just said, I would rather die than have you pay me to preach the gospel. My boast, he says, is that I do this for free. Now, the first thing is, you're like, you know, your alarms are going off. Hey, wait, boasting's bad. You know how to do that. All right. The word boast, I think this is a, a common language kind of thing, right? Should you be proud of how great you are? No. Should you be proud of your children? Yeah. Okay. Aren't they different? Aren't they different? One is a boasting in yourself, demeaning God, I can do this myself. Pride. That's bad. Okay. Loving something, desiring something, being passionate about something, wanting something, ambitious about something. Is that necessarily the evil pride thing? Not at all. Not at all. Different use of the word. This passionate ambition Paul has that he wants so badly. It's not about how great he is. Who's he going to give all the credit to in so many places all through this letter? It's through Christ that I do this, Paul says in, in chapter 15. He gets all the glory for anything I did. It's Jesus that gets. So he's not boasting in his own skill, but he's saying, This is my ambition. This is my passion. This is what I'd love, and I'd rather die than lose it. I think he's pretty serious. Look at his lifestyle. What is it? Verse 16 If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That's interesting. You know, we're talking about Christian freedom. Does Paul have the right to eat the steak? Yeah. Does he have also times when he's like, I'm not going to eat the steak for the sake of other people? Yeah. Does Paul have the right to preach the gospel? Yeah. Does he ever have freedom not to preach the gospel? It's a Christian, it's it's a gray area for Christians. Is that what he's saying? Some of you think this is okay and some of you not. Does God go, hey, Paul, when you feel like it, you can preach the gospel? But other times, you're free not to. Paul is saying the exact opposite Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. This is my stewardship. This is what God has given me. This is a command. Now, does Paul love to preach the gospel? Obviously. Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation for all who believe. He loves the gospel. But he's saying, I don't get any bonus points for preaching. That's what God has commanded me to do. I'll receive a reward for it. Yeah. But I'm entrusted with a stewardship. Of course I'm going to do this. So 18, he says, what then is my reward? What's my passionate ambition? The way I'm running this race. Look at verse 18. That in my preaching I may present the gospel, what? Free of charge, so as not to make use of all my rights. Yeah, I have the right, I don't want it. I want to do this as my offering to the Lord, as my service of love to others. I'm preaching it freely so that I make no obstacle. Think about this. Paul was often in poverty, deep poverty, partly because of this. Worked with his hands as a tent maker. Sometimes he was mocked because he didn't fit expectations, right? Where's your big hat and your big house? He's poor, he's weak. Shouldn't, you know. Why is he doing this? Again, verse 12. Listen to it again. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. I want to make the road of the news of Je- the gospel is Jesus, who he is and what he's done. I want to make the road of that news so plain and so clear that there's nothing in the way so that people can hear it and trust it and believe it. So think about it. What's, what's one right he set aside? He has the right to get married, right? Of course. He said he's going to be single. Why? Look at Paul's life. What is he doing? Uh, is he staying in one place and he's got a white picket fence? And He's constantly traveling. And what is usually happening when he gets to his next destination? Someone's trying to kill him. <laughs> right? That happens about 75% of the time. Is that going to go well when you've got a minivan full of kids? Okay? He has chosen to be single... So that in a specific way he can go and risk and suffer in ways he shouldn't do if he's married with children. He's given up the right for the sake of the spread of the gospel. Is it a sacrifice in some ways? Does he do it joyfully because this is his race, this is what he's running? Yeah, he gave up his right. And another way he gives up his right is that he does it for free. Now, if if you're familiar with your New Testament, you'll know that Paul does accept support in many situations. But I think if you think about it, you'll realize it's usually an established church sending him somewhere. And that's when he receives support. So in other words, he'll receive your support, generally speaking, when you're supporting him to reach others. But if he's reaching you... He doesn't want your money. You know, for Paul, a lot of times he was going somewhere there's no church yet, right? Imagine going to somewhere, there's, there's no church, there's no Christians, and you go there and you preach the gospel and you're praying for people and you're showing them Jesus and you're, you're showing them who he is and you get a few converts and, you, and wow, things are rolling and you're like, hey, can you guys get me a house? Um, do you have a 401k plan? What are these brand new Christians in this place where there's no Christianity going to think? Perhaps. Wait a second. You just did this to make money. And then what are they thinking of, their go- of the gospel all of a sudden? Oh, you're just using that. Okay. Aren't we sick of this as the modern church? People using the gospel to make money. What is it? Does it present an obstacle in the way of the gospel? Some people won't come to Jesus because they think, oh, you're just selling it. You want something. So we just want to say as a church, right? If you're not a Christian and you don't call this your, your, your local church home yet, we don't want your money. We want to give Jesus to you, right? If you're not a Christian, we don't want anything from you. We want to give Jesus to you. Now, when you belong to Christ, something happens in you. What do you want to do? Like Paul says, you want to sacrifice for the faith of others, You're ready to give. But it's one thing for Christians to send and provide. It's another thing to ask for money for the people you're reaching. And Paul says, I don't want money because I don't want there to be an obstacle for the gospel, so I'm going to do this for free. Wow. I appreciate Paul here. You know, you kind of have to trust the apostle, don't you, to live the Christian life because you're reading his stuff and you're trying to believe it and follow it. Isn't it nice to see his example here a little bit and be like, I can trust a guy like that. He really wasn't in it for selfish gain. He's legit. He wants to win, and the win is to do anything to win others. Look at verse 19. So Paul's going to sum this up. This is what the race means to him. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might do what? Win more. So ooh, who owns Paul? Just Jesus. Jesus. Okay? He's not doing anything to... He's not, he's not cowering, a quivering mass of fear, trying to please the crowds. What will they think? Uh, they don't own him. He's free. But what has he done with himself even though he's free? He's made himself a slave. And again, why? To win them. Though free, Paul makes himself a servant to all so that they might be saved. Um... So trick question, who saves, God or Paul? God saves, come on, right? God saves. But God uses tools. He uses his people. He wants to use you. You know, there's a missionary who wanted to go to India to preach the gospel and he went to his super duper theological council said I want to go to India to preach the gospel and they said you know what? if god wants to save those people he can save them we don't need to send you god uses people to save people are you tired yet of praying for your friends to come to faith and realizing that after 12 years you still haven't told them about jesus be the answer to your prayer. Now, okay, right? Is it easy, button? Are they all just going to believe because you finally told them? That's not my experience. Okay, it's not my experience. We know God's got to work. God's got to work. But it's just this in, in, incredible reminder He uses His people. And look at Paul's passion I will endure anything so there's no obstacle to the gospel. I'll be a slave to anyone, not because I'm so scared of what they think, but I'll do it to, so that they'll be saved. Gives an example. Look at verse 20. This is amazing. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So you've got Jewish people, Jewish culture. That's what Paul grew up in, right? They follow the Mosaic law. There's all sorts of cultural uh, uh, ceremonial things that they're following. Ways they dress, what they eat. Now, Paul's in Christ. Is he under that stuff anymore? Does he have to follow it anymore? No way. I'm free from that. But when he's with them, is he going to be like, I can't believe you guys still don't eat bacon? Or is he going to say, I'm... I don't ever need to eat bacon again that's, just, that's a silly example but what's he going to do he's not under their law but what's he going to do when he's with them he is going to be like them in every way that he can why? because he's afraid of what they think nope because he wants to win them to Christ plug this in church what does this mean for us what does this mean for you what does it mean Then he says, verse 21, to those outside the law, Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Okay, now he's not with Jews anymore. He's with Gentiles. What's he going to do? Remember, Paul was born Jewish. This is his home culture. This is what he knows. This is what he loves. What is he willing to do with his home culture when he's with others? Set it aside. He'll be like them. He'll be with them. All of a sudden, he's eating lots of bacon. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but here's the thing with being with Gentiles. He's still under a law. Okay, He'll eat bacon, but is he going to go to the idol worship ceremony and praise Artemis? No, he's under the law of Christ. He's not going to sin. He's not going to rebel against his Lord that he loves. He's going to be as much as he can in with and like these people. Why? Because he's afraid of them? No. Because he wants to save them. To bring them to Christ. This is so hard for us, isn't it? Church, don't we tend to either be hiding from the world or like Jesus' secret agents looking just like the world? Are you a Christian? Yes. Yes. Jesus doesn't need any more secret agents. Right? But it's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. It's easy to be like, let's just be with the faithful, let's be holy, and leave the unbelieving world out there. And look, look, we're following the rules and we can feel good about ourselves. Look, I'm, look how holy we are, okay? It's not what we're told to do. It's not what Paul's doing. Or the other side, we're like, I'm going to be like Jesus and go to the parties. I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm on my fifth drink and I am, whoa, where did Jesus go? and we we jest but it's hard isn't it in the world of the world in the world but not of the world it's so hard but that's what we're called to do keep this line this line gives that wise guidance though free from all i am free from all you're going to have to remind yourself of this i do not need to please the crowd i'm free i can be hated if i need to be i follow christ Though free from all, I make myself a slave to all. I will meet them where they are. I will meet them where they are. Why? So I can win them to the gospel. So I can win them to the gospel. And then this is hitting home for the Corinthians, right? Verse 22. To the weak I became weak. The weak are the people who shouldn't be eating the steak and shouldn't see other Christians eating the steak because they're intimidated. They're drawn to go back to idol worship and Paul says to the weak when I'm I will be with the weak. So this is inside the church walls now. And if there are brothers or sisters who struggle with certain things, God forbid that you would ever influence them more into that and away from Christ. You'll be like them, you'll be with them for their faith. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Verse 23, I'll do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. It's so beautiful. I do it for the sake of the gospel. We've talked about this before. C.S. Lewis talks about this, the idea of praise. Um, You see something beautiful, what do you want to do when you see it? Oh, it's beautiful. You got to post about it, right? (laughs) Because even though it's fun to see it all by yourself, what makes it even better? Share it. Okay. I love Jesus. Don't you get joy from knowing Jesus and being with Jesus? I love Jesus. But you know what? You know what I love even more. You guys don't get to see what I get to see sometimes. I love to praise Jesus and see you praising Jesus. I love that. It makes me so happy. I'm sharing it with you, and we're together. We're going. Oh, Jesus is awesome. Paul says I want to share that praise of Jesus with more. I want to share with them in its blessings. What a motivation alright I asked you a long time ago what's the race what's the passion what's the ambition what's the softball you've got to catch you don't care if you scrape your knee for Paul is it's this the ultimate win is to be won by Jesus and do anything so that he might use you to win others you'll give up your rights to win others you'll do anything rights aren't Your rights aren't the first anymore. Their salvation is. What do we in America care about? Our rights. Now, should we fight for the rights of others and justice? Yes. That is a totally different conversation. But what about your rights? Will you give them up for the sake of others? That's the race. That's the race. Look at verse 24. Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only the one... Only one receives the prize. Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. Keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I be disqualified. Uh, There may be three other people in the room who know this, but Ronda Rousey won her fight last night in 34 seconds. Can I get two other people who knew this? All right. Yeah, like 10. Okay. She did not do that eating donuts and surfing the internet. (laughs) Run the race to win. What does that mean for your Christian life? Paul says, I discipline my body because I don't want to be disqualified. So if I'm living a sloppy life, Does that present an obstacle to the gospel sometimes? You bet. I'm going to discipline myself. Why? Because it saves me and Jesus will love me then? No. He already loves you by grace through faith. That's how you're saved. So you can win others. I'll discipline myself. You might have to discipline your mind. I've got to understand what I'm talking about. I've got to learn the Word of God, I've got to know how to communicate but I'm going to exercise self-control. I don't box as one beating the air. Look, no matter who you are or how old you are or what your physical condition is, when you're a Christian, you're a spiritual boxer. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay? And you're not just shadow boxing. You want to hit, right? You're fighting the kingdom of darkness. You You want to pound them in the nose with the word of God, with your prayer life, with how you live. You want to win people for Christ. And so you're you're willing to train and exercise so you can be at this fight, so you can run the race, so you can win. Paul says, "Come on, every athlete exercises self-control. They're doing they're doing it to win a perishable wreath." You know, on ESPN. If you go on ESPN.com, you'll see Rhonda Rousey. She won. Yay! Okay, how many of you can can mention first-century Olympian winners? Don't know? Don't care. If everything's about sports, you're playing the wrong game. What's the race you really want to win? Don't you want to stand before Jesus? Saved by grace through faith, with your legacy being, listen, the fruits are up to him. But your legacy was, I ran to win. I went after others for their salvation. I loved people. I I threw myself into this. And Jesus looks at you and gives you a whole different kind of crown and says, well done. Well done. And, and I know what I'll be like if I get one. <sighs> right? And then, and then that's why they throw them all down. I don't deserve this. And Jesus, <sighs> go for the crown that matters. We sacrifice ourselves to win others. Why? Why, does, why did Paul do this? All throughout this text, right? Gospel, 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 gospel. Paul is willing to sacrifice himself to win others. Why? What did Jesus do for him? Do you see this? What did Jesus do for him? What did Jesus do for you? Did he sacrifice everything to win you to himself? He left his throne, took on flesh. Demotion. He suffered. Suffered. To win you. It says in John, he loved his disciples to the end. He went to the cross to pay for your sins. To win you. He rose from the dead to win you. He reigns now for your benefit to win you. He will come back to win you. And he's ours. All that is ours, not by how hard we work to win others, but just as a gift. By grace through faith, right? Undeserved love. We trusted him. It's ours. And Paul was melted by Jesus' grace. Remember, Paul was on the road to kill Christians, and Jesus said... You're mine. That changed Paul. Can you see the gospel? Are you changed by it? Do you see what Jesus did to have you? And it's yours freely as a gift. If you're won by Jesus and you see he sacrificed all to win you, what do you want to do? I want to grow in sacrificing myself. Not so that I can be won by Jesus. No, no, he did that. He sacrificed to win me. It's free as a gift. But now in response, I want to sacrifice myself so that he might send me out To win others. Two quick application questions. Number one, who are you influencing and how? Who are you influencing and how? Are you willing to give up your rights to influence them towards Christ somehow? Anything to save them. Preaching the gospel. Number two, are you looking to Jesus? You gotta come to Jesus first before you go to others. Come to Jesus before you go to others. Before we run for him, right, we want to run to him. Trust in him. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray. We'll take up our offering. Then We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. And today we're going to do it a little differently, as you heard. We want to just kind of act out this idea of coming to him. We'll have the bread and the juice up here. Ushers will have it. And as we just come to him, seeing what he has done for us, compelled by his love, enjoying the gospel blessings together. Right, enjoying the gospel together as we do this, celebrating the supper, realizing his body was broken for us. We eat the bread. His blood was shed for us. We drink the juice. He did everything to win us to himself. So let's come to Christ in our hearts. Let's come to him as we take the Lord's Supper. We'll worship him. Then we'll be sent out to go to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your great love. Help us come to you, first of all, and again be amazed at your love, at your sacrifice to have us belonging to you. We love you, Lord. Help us know that love, to feel it. You love us. Thank you, God, for your grace and your kindness. And now, God, as we continue our worship together, uh, let us rejoice, trusting in you, and then then send out, Lord, to the world to, to sacrifice our rights so that by any means we might save some. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.